Welcome to the 2015 Bevy Awards presented by the Bird's Eye View Podcast. With appearances by the Baltimoreans, Baltimore Sports Report, Camden Chat, Utah Street Report, the OBP Podcast, Orioles Uncensored, and now, please welcome the hosts of the Bevy Awards from the Bird's Eye View Podcast, Jake English and Scott Magnus. Thank you, Jovial J. Here we are, the 2015 Bevies. This show is our third annual Bevy Awards podcast. And if you're a new listener and have no idea what's going on, let me give you a little history. Back in 2013, we decided to put together a, a faux awards show that would hand out hardware to our favorite uh, whatevers of the first half. That first one was well, it was long, Jake. But since then, we've got into the swing of things. And hopefully 2015, well, the third one has to be the charm. The Bevies serve as a way to look back at the first half and look ahead to what will be important to the remainder of the season. We also get some help from our friends and colleagues in the Birdosphere. Now, before we get down to the very serious business of the awards, we'd like to bring you some of the biggest stories of the first half. And to the delight and horror of our listeners, both of them, we tend to do so in song. So for our first theme, we'd like to focus on the Orioles' recent inability to drive in runs. This impotence has frustrated fans and has shaken the confidence of a fan base that has recently thumped its chest over its first-place Orioles. The offense is a potent one, so it seems to me Although the O's rely on homers to assure their victory I wish that they could figure out how to manufacture runs There must be 50 ways to strand a runner You know it's really not my habit to intrude Furthermore, I hope my meaning won't be lost or misconstrued But I will keep myself at the risk of being crude, there must be 50 ways to strand a runner. 50 ways to strand a runner. Swing out of your bones, Jones. Line out on a rope, scope. Hit a warning track, smash, flash. No RISP. Too slow to steal first, though. You don't seem to seem crushed much. Just take strike three, common lead. No RISP. Just short of that fat map. Hit a 6-4-3-C. Inning, inning, double play, JJ. No R-I-S-P. That pop-up stung young. And these rallies are no fun. Just chase that slider, Snyder. No R-I-S-P. These games, they grieve me so and bring me so much pain. I wish the Orioles' magic would return. To make me smile again, I would appreciate If their play would be more like June than May Please forget these 50 ways But we still watch these games night after fruitless night Because deep inside we still believe that soon they'll see the lights Things seem hopeless The Orioles try as though they might find the 50 ways to strand a runner Fifty ways to strand a runner 
Swing out of your bones, Jones. Line out on a rope, scope. Hit a warning track, smash, flash. No RISP. Too slow to steal first, low. You don't seem to see crush much. Just take track three, palm lead. No RISP. Just shoulder that back, Matt. Hit a six, four, three, Steve. Inning, ending, double play, JJ. No RISP. That pop-up stung young And these rallies are no fun Just chase that slider, Snyder No R-I-S-P Well, that was certainly interesting, Jake. Um, I decided to go a little bit different theme. There's been a lot of heat and reaction to the Orioles making a plethora of roster moves. Some of them valid, some of them... Completely irrational. Um, but there's one man behind all those moves. I'd like to get his opinion on the matter. This roster's moving. This roster's moving. This roster's moving. There are uh, options. This roster's moving. This roster's moving. This roster's moving. There are uh, options. Fans, look at me in my face. Tell me that you're just not about first place. Do you think I could be replaced? Now I can't get the holy place. And I'm a college guy, and I hold it up. You're full of something, but it ain't love. And players we had straight overdue. About time we don't have somebody new. We can buy pricey free agents and nine, 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 nine. But I keep having to say goodbye, bye, 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 bye. I need those options to keep the roster moving. Tell me, do you think I'm dumb? I might be grumpy, but I ain't stupid. This is my full-time job. I gave you titles. You gave me sweet talk. Saying how I'm your number one. But I owe your lies, because your lips are moving. Baltimore, I think I'm done. Well, as always, the opening of the Bevy Awards uh, has probably chased out the listeners. Yeah, so we apologize to all the listeners. We have done our best to damage your eardrums. If you're still here, we thank you, and we hope that you will enjoy the rest of the show. The good, the bad, and the ugly of the Orioles offense. So here we are. We're here for the good, the bad, and the ugly of the offense let's go ahead and do it for the good there can be no better uh representative of good orioles baseball offensively than what manny machado has done in the early part of the series or season manny machado was one of the orioles all-stars he was in the all-star game home run derby for a reason manny machado has really turned it on this season and i think that he's having that offensive season that we all expected him to have as a phenom in the minor leagues. I mean, the stats, I think, speak for themselves. Uh, you know, he's got those 19 home runs. He's batting uh, right around 300. But the thing is, is that Manny Machado has been doing this from the leadoff spot. Manny Machado is driving in runs. He is setting the table. He's really doing it all. And for a club that has struggled offensively at times in the first half of the season, you can't say enough about what Manny Machado is doing. Top five player, too, in Major League Baseball in terms of being a position player, in terms of war as well, um, MVP candidate. And, uh, you know, we talked about it. One of my predictions coming into the season was 200 hits, 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases. Uh, The 200 hits is going to be close. But Manny Machado is putting up numbers that are 
pretty impressive. You got to say he's back on track a little bit for that, right? He's back on track, and he's probably the best we've ever seen Manny Machado. But, Jake, you're missing the most obvious good for this season, which is Jimmy Paredes, who's been the unheralded breakout star. Uh, he's a free springer, no doubt, and that can be frustrating. But he's yet another example of Dan Duquette's untapped additions. They pay dividends for a small market team like the Baltimore Orioles. Look, Jimmy Paredes certainly isn't great against right-handed pitching. Um, but, you know, he's 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 pretty good overall as a DH. So uh, Jimmy Paredes gets my nod as the good for this year. All right, let's go ahead and let's talk about the bad for this year. You talked about Jimmy Paredes, who is this year's Steve Pierce. I'm going to talk about this year's Steve Pierce. Mm. He's been very disappointing. Yeah. I'm incredibly disappointed with what I've seen from Steve Pierce because, you know, he's an easy guy to root for. He was somebody that I thought would come in and claim a job. The left field job that had been handed to Alejandro Diazza, basically, at the beginning of the season, I thought it was his to recapture it. Certainly, you'd think that you'd have seen Pierce in sort of that super utility role. But his offensive production has really not merited that kind of attention. He's only batting two twenty eight, and I know that average is not the best way to take a look at his offensive production. But Pierce is simply not getting it done. No, definitely not hitting with a lot of power. Uh, the doubles that you saw a lot last year have disappeared. Uh, just a disappointing season for him. He's started to turn around in June and July, but definitely a disappointing season so far for Steve Pierce. For an individual who's projected to be, you know. Uh, an upper one to solid two war player hasn't even come close to that. Yeah, his weighted weighted runs for created plus is as at eighty nine so far. Yeah, and she's just not getting it right. done. I think my bigger concern is in the bad category it has to be the platoon outfield situation not working. Regardless, and Steve Pierce falls into that mold, but it has resulted in the DFA of Alejandro Diazza and Delman Young seven million dollars in lost money in that regard. Um, but you also have a plethora of outfielders on this team with one that's going to have to be optioned or traded in the future as well. The Orioles just can't seem to get consistency with that platoon situation out there, and I know it makes a lot of Orioles fans upset to not see Nick Markakis out there trolling through the outfield. Whether that's reasonable or not, it just doesn't seem like there's been a lot of consistency with that outfield. Yeah, if you're going to get rid of players like Nick Markakis and Nelson Cruz, that's perfectly fine, but you got to not roll the dice. You got to have a real solution out there to replace uh, people that not only were effective offensively, but also fan favorites. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with that. I think a platoon situation works well. It just hasn't worked well yet for the Orioles. Yeah, they just have to have the right pieces in that platoon. Right, exactly. And it, it's it's difficult coming off something so consistent that being like, eh, Is this really any better? If it were to pay dividends out, I think people would be like, yeah, it's a good thing we got rid of Mark Akis. Absolutely. All right, ugly. Ugly. For me, offensively, rather than a single person, I think it's a a really uh, the sum of the whole situation. And that is when the runners in scoring position stat goes on holiday. And it really is a situation that you've seen several times now in several stretches of the Orioles' early season that – they simply fail to manufacture runs. They fail to get those hits with runners in scoring position. This team can obviously mash it up and down the lineup. I think there are a lot of home run threats, but if that's all you've got, that's going to do no good. 
Um, we've talked about it in the past where, you know, it's easy to beat up on the pitchers, but in a lot of cases during the slumps that the Orioles have hit, it hasn't been the pitching that's been the problem. It's been the lineup's ability to consistently drive in runs that don't come in through the home run. It cannot be feast or famine if this team is going to contend. They're going to have to start passing the baton, as Buck Showalter says. Get some of that magic back. Ugly for the offense has to be J.J. Hardy hitting only 58 weighted runs created plus. Look, we talked about this on episode 130 of our podcast. That's worse than Cesar Torres in terms of offensive production. Very little pop so far in Hardy's bat. Lots of ground balls. Hardy needs to get back to that line drive approach that really is the epitome for him um, in, in previous seasons for the Orioles. That was a big issue for him when he was with the Twins for not really hitting a lot of line drives. He somewhat improved on that with the Orioles. Never has been a great line drive hitter, but J.J. Hardy needs to get back to being that slap hitter once again. And he'll also never be that 25-30 home no. run guy again. No, he but just if needs he, to be a productive hitter. If he can be 15 or 16 home runs, I'd be ecstatic, but he just needs to get back to being that slap hitter again. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Derek Arnold of Utah Street Report. It is time once again for the annual Bevy Awards, which is always the best part of the All-Star break. I am Derek Arnold of Utah Street Report, and I'd first like to thank Jake and Scott for again asking us to participate in this awesome show. We have had voting for our bevy categories on utahstreetreport.com for the last week or so, and I'd like to thank everyone that took the time to go vote. Uh, those of you who didn't vote, you are, as Jake and Scott would say, on notice. And so, here are ESR's bevy awards for 2015. Our first category is the Ramon Ramirez Forgotten Man Award. You'll all not remember Ramon, which is exactly the point, for the one inning he pitched for the 2014 American League East champions. This award pays homage to the ridiculous yet oddly effective way that Buck and Dan used the roster. The 2013 winner was good old Alex Burnett. So, who are O's fans most likely to forget all about this year? The nominees are Ryan LaVarnway. LaVarnway was the backup catcher for the first two months of the season before being DFA'd May 26th following a 3-for-28 performance at the dish. Next up, Everth Cabrera. Now, Cabrera kept J.J. Hardy's seat warm for 29 games, hitting 208, 250, 229, before being a victim of the great DFA purge of late May, early June. He was DFA'd on June 5th and still does not have a job. Next up, Cesar Cabral. Now, Cabral, like Ramirez before him, has pitched one inning exactly for this year's Orioles. And finally, Eddie Gamboa. The knuckleballer was with the Birds for two days back in April and never made it into a game. And so... As voted on by you, the winner of this year's Ramon Ramirez Forgotten Man Award is... Cesar Cabral with 57% of the vote. Now, I need to mention, Cabral is still in the organization and still on the 40-man roster. 
And with Brian Mattis continuing to do Brian Mattis-like things, uh, there's a very real possibility that we will see Cabral again this year, at which point he would likely redeem himself for this award. But for the moment, as voted on by you, Cesar Cabral is this year's forgotten man. Ladies and gentlemen, to present the next bevy, Jake English and Scott Magnus of Bird's Eye View. For the first bevy from Bird's Eye View, we would like to present the Doghouse Award. This award recognizes a player who, by virtue of his performance on the field, found himself in manager Buckshaw Walter's doghouse. And the nominees are Nolan Reimold, Everett Cabrera, Travis Snyder, and Jason Garcia. And the winner is Wrinkle, 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 Wrinkle. Everett Cabrera, who was designated for assignment after J.J. Hardy came off the DL, despite signing for a somewhat meager $2.4 million salary, and despite the fact that he showed a reasonable amount of versatility playing shortstop, second base, outfield, and center field, Cabrera was let go, primarily because offense was terrible, and honestly, he was somewhat of a below-average defender in those positions. Look, I'm not saying that he didn't fill in nicely, but you would think to a certain regard, looking back on it, that maybe a Ray Navarro could have filled in equally as well. And for a team that struggled to make the roster decisions to be the guy that gets cut, you know he was in the doghouse. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Alan Smith and Sam Dingman of Baltimoreans. Hello, bird's eye viewers. How y'all doing? Sam Dingman and Alan Smith here from the Baltimoreans podcast. Very Honored, as always, to be a part of this hallowed tradition of the Bevy Awards. Speaking of traditions, we're all familiar with the team traditions of the current Orioles roster. There is the flinging of sunflower seeds in the dugout after someone hits a home run. There's Adam Jones double-tapping the Maryland flag after his uh, successful home run, Adam Bombs. There is Buck Showalter gingerly gripping a baseball during close games when the team is behind. But this year has seen the rise of some new Orioles traditions, which we hope stick around for a while. So, your nominees for the 2015 new Orioles tradition of the year are... First, Jim Palmer joins Twitter. We're all very excited to have him here. (laughs) He's better at it than those of us who've been doing it for some time. He comes out with some flame, though. He does indeed. He like, he, he, he's, he's calling it like it is. That's, that's what he does. That's what he does. Uh, the second tradition, the second nominee, is the ghost audience performance by one Caleb Joseph. Um, I'm not sure I totally want to say that I hope that he gets another opportunity to do that because, as we all remember, the game against the White Sox in Baltimore was... Um, troubling for a series of reasons but caleb joseph made the best of a bad situation arriving early to sign imaginary autographs and then soak up the applause of imaginary fans nominee number three manny machado has taken to turning to the fans behind home plate and giving a nice big wave every time he crosses the plate after hitting a home run which is not particularly funny or creative. It's just a little bit more bravado than we've seen from Manny in the past, and with all the home runs he's been hitting this year, it's been fun to watch. And number four, and the odds-on favorite out of the gate, the tradition of the rally gnome. The strange little creature, which we all know and love, which may or may not look like Buck Showalter, depending on who you ask, has been a large part of the Orioles' uh, wins, 
And the strange little guy has kind of uh, wormed his way into the heart of at least many Twitter faithful, if not many Orioles themselves. I have the envelope here. And ladies and gentlemen, the winner is... The Manny Machado big wave to the fans every time he crosses the plate after a home run. This is perhaps the easiest choice. However, it fits in with the broader narrative of the only thing that it seems like we can for sure be happy about in the 2015 season, which is that we have a bona fide star on our hands. Manny is finally healthy and doing everything we thought he could do and more. And I, for one, look forward to continuing to see more ways in which he steps out into his budding stardom. The good, the bad, and the ugly of the Orioles' defense. All right, it's time to do the good, the bad, and the ugly for defense. Jake, I'm going to start off this time with the good. Good for defense, I think, in my opinion, has been the corner outfield. I know I've given them a hard time back in the hitting segment, um, but honestly, their defensive metrics have been really impressive. Good arms. Um, maybe the range isn't there, but again, we really haven't had range in corner outfield positions for a while. Um, but I've actually been pretty impressed with the arm slots that are out there uh, in the corner outfield. Absolutely. And, and I think that the guys that are out there, regardless of what they do with the stick, are very capable defensively. We saw a highlight real catch out of Travis Snyder, who made a catch that nobody expected on Gnome Night. And uh, that won't happen every night, but that is a guy that's not generally going to hurt you. David Lowe, for all the bad things I say about him, is an excellent defender. Yes, I agree with you. Corner outfielder has better than expected. Or Steve Pierce robbing David Ortiz and getting indignant looks from him. Uh, That's always good to see. I I feel like Pierce has always uh, been an uh, underappreciated defender in the outfield. But for my good, I'm going to talk about Steve Pierce in the infield. Mm. Steve Pierce, of course, uh, has been the backup first baseman behind Chris Davis for the the last uh, year or so. But when the Orioles had a need at second base, Buck Showalter went outside the box and he, as he said, invented a second baseman in Steve Pierce. Look, Steve Pierce was never going to light up Sports Center every night with his diving plays at second base, but he played a surprisingly steady second base. And what he allowed to do, he allowed the team to do was keep that versatility and wait for Jonathan Scope to come back, for wait for Ryan Flaherty to come back. I was very impressed with what I saw out of Steve Pierce in the second base position. And when you're not uh, achieving what you're supposed to at the plate, you got to have something to bring with the glove. And I think that's exactly what we saw out of Steve Pierce. He made plays look pretty easy that I I was not expecting from him. So he gets the absolute tip of the cap from me. All right. Segway is pretty good into my next bad that's an individual that didn't fill in well in that role, which was Everett Cabrera, who filled in for J.J. Hardy while being out. Never really secured the role as being an above-average defender. Uh, just a really kind of eh, performance. Really pushed the, uh, pushed the envelope of saying, I cannot wait for Ryan Flaherty and Jonathan Scope to be back for this team. Everett Cabrera, we hardly knew you, but it's a good thing we didn't see you for very long. All right, my ugly, or I'm sorry, my bad for uh, defense is Manny Machado's early struggles. Now, Machado seemed to straighten himself out defensively, but there was a period of time where I actually held my breath when the ball got hit to the left side of the infield because Manny Machado had turned in his platinum glove for a wooden one. It was pretty 
awful for a while there. I don't know if it was the yips or what have you. Maybe it was just him getting used to his new bionic knees. Whatever the case, I'm really glad it's over. Jake, uh, let's pop into Ugly. Ugly has to be Jimmy Paredes being so bad with a glove that the Orioles would do anything to keep him off the field, including putting Delman Young in right field liberally and also having to put Steve Pierce at second base. Yeah. Jimmy Paredes' glove is the ugliest defense for this first half. Yeah. That's really bad. Yeah. When you look at what what you just said with Delman Young playing right field liberally, yeah, that's awful. Yeah. All right. For me, ugly. I'm going to have to go with Chris Davis becoming the everyday right fielder. Look, I know that Chris Davis is versatile enough to get away with it on an occasional basis. I just don't think that he can play right field at the major league level on the everyday basis. And he's not a bad first baseman. In fact, I would argue that Chris Davis is an above average first baseman. And I think that while trying to get at bats for uh, Parmalee, Buck Showalter may be doing a disservice not only to Davis, but to the Orioles for sticking him out there. And, you know, Davis hasn't complained. He's been a good soldier about it. But I have seen quite a few routes that have made me weep. Chris Davis, at a regu- uh, as your regular right fielder, will burn you eventually. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Cal Renner, Sal Ronaldo, and Joe Paparato of the OBP Apparel and the OBP Podcast. Well, hey, guys. I'm Cal. I'm Sal. I'm Joe Pop. And we are the artists formerly known as the OBP Podcast. Uh, but we're so excited that the Bird's Eye View guys have gotten the band back together and invited us on to, for, I believe this is the second year or third year in a row, to give out some awards. I know who's ready to give out some awards. You guys ready? <laughs> I'm definitely ready. I've been thinking about it all day. Wesley Matthews just playing great defense, overcoming some injuries. You saw what LeBron James could do, even though his players were hurt. And of course, how could we forget David Lee selflessly just going all out in the finals and getting that ring? Guys, I hope you're ready to hand out some NBA hardware. Oh, oh hold up, hold up, Sal. What? NBA hardware? What are you talking about? This yeah. is the bevies. This is the bird's eye view awards. We're not talking basketball. But it's always about basketball. Well, I thought you. we were talking about the hardwood. Well, we are going to talk about hardwood. Right. We are going to talk about dongs. Oh yeah. Because the bird's eye view loves dongs. They can't get enough dongs, guys. The more dongs, the better. They love long dongs, short dongs, line drive dongs, white dongs, black dongs, blue dongs. It doesn't matter. It's a dong fest, and they love it. It's Dong City up on their podcast. Those guys love talking dongs. And that's why we are going to give away an award for most clutch dong of the year by an Oreo. That's right. We've got Clutch's Dong here. And who else to read it but Sal? Sal, give us our nominees for Clutch's Dong of the Year. For Clutch's Dong, the nominees are Manny Machado, Chris Davis, Jonathan Scope, David Lowe. And your winner is, let's open the envelope here. Joe Pa, you have the honors of reading the name. The winner... For most clutch dong is David Lowe. 
Forget David Lowe's just amazing performance and on a on a cold April night when Baltimore needed a hero, a walk-off home run against the the evil Red Sox, just taking our city to another level and providing a memory for all of us to share and and remember forever. David Lowe, what a great Oriole! Yeah, it was the day after the Baltimore riots. The city needed a hero, and David Lowe, well, he was the clutchest dong I've seen. He was the hero we needed and deserved right then and there. David Lowe. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome John Wilkes of Orioles Uncensored. This is John Wilkes from Orioles Uncensored presenting the 2015 bevy. For which Oriole would you least trust around your drunk girlfriend or wife? The nominees are David Lowe, Adam Jones, Bud Norris, Miguel Gonzalez, and Tommy Hunter. And the 2015 bevy goes to none other than Subductive Tommy Hunter. Looks like your wife uh, or girlfriend will just be one more person scoring with Tommy Hunter around. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mark Brown of Camden Chat. Ladies and gentlemen of the Birdland audience, thank you for letting me be part of the show. My name is Mark Brown, and if you don't know me, I'm the manager of the Orioles blog Camden Chat, which you can find easily enough at camdenchat.com. And I'm here on behalf of the good people of Camden Chat to present a bevy, which we came up with and voted on ourselves. Now, a little history for this category. You might recall back in the early days of the Orioles being good, the great run differential wars. And when people talk about run differential, it's usually because the great sabermetrician Bill James came up with an equation he called the Pythagorean win expectation, so named because it uses squares in a similar way to the equation that you probably remember from trigonometry. It uses the runs scored compared to runs allowed to predict an expected win-loss record. Now, the 2012 Orioles, that surprising team, did not rate very highly by this measure. And in fact, of their, instead of their actual record of 93 and 69, they were supposed to have a record of 82 and 80. And I use the biggest air quotes you can imagine around the word supposed. Wars were waged on our site over this argument. Uh, many good commenters were lost. After days of brutal battles over these projections, I had to go in and scold everyone and shut the argument down. But uh, not being able to resist getting in the last word, I proclaimed that Pythagoras can project these nuts. And in that spirit, I offer this bevy, the Project These Nuts Award for the Oriole who has most greatly exceeded preseason expectations or projections, as voted on by the people of Camden Chat. The nominees are... Wei Yin Chen, projected to have an ERA over 4. Chen enters this recording with an ERA under 3. Ubaldo Jimenez, also projected to have an ERA over 4 and a walk rate of nearly 12%. Jimenez enters the break with an ERA under 3 and a walk rate of 7.4%. Jimmy Paredes. No one even expected Paredes to make the roster, and instead, for a while, he was among the AL leaders in batting average. Chaz Rowe. No one thought enough of him to even project him back in January, and he has turned into a key piece of the bullpen. And finally, Zach Britton, projected for aggression to hit him hard with an ERA of 3.24. Instead, Britton is striking out over 30% of batters he faces while maintaining an ERA of 1.82. And the winner is... (laughs) 
Jimmy Paredes. Jimmy is not here to accept this award, but we, the people of Camden Chat, hope that he, too, will proudly tell Pythagoras, Zips, and everyone else to project D's nuts. Before I leave the stage, I would like to award one superlative on behalf of the good readers of my site. A Camden Chatter recently discovered that uh, the Orioles' own Ryan Flaherty happened to be attending his high school during high school in Portland, Maine, concurrently with a movie star. And that would be Anna Kendrick, recently starring in Pitch Perfect and just earlier this summer, Pitch Perfect 2. And in the imagination of the collective Camden Chat community, Flaherty is out there on the diamond trying every night to get himself into a highlight reel. So maybe, just maybe, Anna Kendrick might notice him and remember him from their high school days. So to Flaherty, we offer this. The most likely to actually have a secret crush on Anna Kendrick Award. Now, there's no competition. It's just Flaherty's Award. It's probably not actually true, but the world is brighter if we all believe it's true. Thank you, and good night. The good, the bad, and the ugly of the Orioles pitching. Here we are for the good, the bad, and the ugly of the pitching. I'm going to start with the good, and my good for the pitching staff has got to be Abaldo Jimenez. Look, I don't know what the rest of you were expecting, but I was terrified of another train wreck with Abaldo Jimenez, and he has been anything but. In most cases, when things have been bad for the Orioles, Abaldo Jimenez has been the stopper. Abaldo Jimenez has absolutely been the guy that the Orioles thought they were giving all that money to when they signed him to the $50 million contract, and it all comes down to fastball command. Abaldo Jimenez has been limiting the walks. He's down from a awful 5.53 uh, walks per nine last year to just under three, 2.9. And the other thing about Abaldo Jimenez is that that FIP is in the 3-2 zone and his ERA is even under that. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Commanding the fastball, filthy breaking stuff, working effectively in the zone, he's doing really well, and I'm hoping that he'll be able to ride that in the second half. But for the first half, he's my good. Bottom Menace is definitely the best starter right now in the Orioles rotation. Command is really impressive. I also think what's really interesting, too, is that ground ball percentage is starting to creep back up again, 41.3%. It's gone all the way up to 46.6%. Again, he started to get control of that sinker, and that sinker has to be a part of him, especially with that reduced velocity from back in his earlier career. But, Jake, if we're going to talk ground balls, we're going to talk Zach Burton, who's been absolutely filthy this first half of the season. In 36 and a two-thirds of innings pitched, he's commanded a 1.72 ERA, 10 strikeouts per nine innings, 1.96 walks per nine. Jake, he's only getting up 0.25 home runs per nine innings. And this is the, 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 the best I love Zach Burton looking at is 75% of the balls that he's putting into play are ground balls. I mean, that's unbelievable. Can I just say something about Zach Burton? Sure. I was completely wrong. Yeah. And crow tastes delicious. Yeah. If we thought that Zach Burton was good last year, Zach Burton is even better this year. It and, is unbelievable to think that. And I was convinced there was going to be regression there. Yeah, it's 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 filthy. So Zach Burton gets the good for this for me for pitching 
All right, let's go to the bad. For me, the bad is Bud Norris. And I could give it to Bud Norris strictly for ruining my opening day. I, I could do that right away and say the home opener was enough for Bud Norris to be bad. But frankly, it didn't get any better from there. And Bud Norris, I know, was uh, sick for a while. But yeah, he had a case of the sucks. He came down with the sucks. And frankly, I'm hoping that his next injury is that mystical pothole that Abaldo Jimenez hit last year. Look, Bud Norris has been limited to just 60 innings, 60.1 innings uh, this season. But he has been awful. He's given up 46 earned runs in that time. And you can go across the stats, Scott, but nothing is right. He's got a FIP above 55 He's just not getting it done. He's been relegated to the bullpen at this point. And frankly, he scares me every time he comes to the mound. Can I give a little bit of a positive spin? You can try. Okay, I want to try to give a positive spin because I actually think there may be some bit of hope for Bud Norris. Maybe not someone that's in the rotation anymore, but props out of the bullpen like we talked about last year to be in the season. But let's look at his LOB percentage, which historically has been around 70%. This year, it's at 58.9%. Also, his home runs per fly balls, Jake, 18.3%. Or historically, it's running around 11%. Jake, Bud Norris has been bad, but he's been bad to a certain extent where some of the numbers don't make sense. A lot of it has to do with command, and his command has been off with his fastball. I think he can get it back in the bullpen, and I think the Orioles can use him effectively out of the bullpen. Um, I'm going to look into it a little bit deeper, but Bud Norris has certainly been bad well actually if we're just looking at the numbers bud norris has been ugly if we're looking at the numbers so you did mess that one up but i don't think he's as as bad as we want to make him out to be all right i hear you loud and clear i will counter however by saying that bud norris's meltdowns don't happen the third time through the order Mm -hmm. this is not an adjustment situation this is not a guy that that is in the bullpen because he can't get through the lineup multiple times he can't get through the lineup once yeah and that's why he terrifies me in the bullpen okay all right, my bad for the year is going to, or for the midseason, is going to be Miguelito because of somewhat of a high hope for him. Uh, 4.24 ERA, 5.01 FIP. Uh, here's the interesting one, though 4.25 XFIP, so it's identical to ERA. That's been a big outlier, both in terms of FIP and XFIP, in the past few seasons with uh, Miguel Gonzalez. The fact that the XFIP and the ERA are exactly the same, not a good sign. A higher propensity for the home run this year than any point in his career. Um, We're right at uh, 1.64 home runs per nine, but the fly ball ratio is a little bit higher, 16.5%, which is definitely an outlier. But Miguel Gonzalez, again, hasn't really shown so much in the walk per nine, but certainly seems like he's having an issue locating that fastball, and it's starting to get into the middle of the zone as opposed to painting the corners. And when you're throwing 91 or 92 miles per hour, I can come back and bite you really quickly. He's so. an, he's another guy that I just, I wish was doing better. He, he's a guy I really root for, but he's not getting it done this year. No. All right, let's talk about ugly when it comes to pitching. You said that I screwed this one up. I think I'm going to win the day on this one. Okay. My ugly for the pitching side of the Baltimore Orioles in this half of the season is the injuries to key pitching prospects and the disappearance of hope of help down the line. Hear me out on this one. I'm listening. We've talked about Dylan Bundy and his injury and how we are terrified that this is it for him. Yeah. If he's not if he's not done completely, 
his inning situation probably means that he's going to come back to a bullpen role when he is on the major league roster next year. Mm -hmm. Then you have Hunter Harvey Mm -hmm. who also can't stay on the field. And regardless of what's going on physically, he's also missing key development time. And we talked about it in the past. That might be a good thing for the Orioles though. (laughs) You, You got me there. Beyond those two key injuries though, We've also lost, I think, confidence in some of the arms that we had in AAA that we were hoping would be able to come and help us from a starting position. Here I'm talking about Wilson and Wright. Tyler Wilson and Mike Wright, I think, will be absolutely incredibly valuable bullpen arms, but I think that their short time in the rotation this season has shown that they are not major league-ready arms and that maybe that confidence that we had to deal a guy like Eduardo Rodriguez was a little overconfidence. So for me, the ugly is the loss of the bloom of the rose for the Orioles pitching in the minor league system. I come back to past Hunter Harvey and Dylan Bundy. There were no pitchers in the top 100 for Baseball America and Baseball Prospectus. The Orioles traded one of their top 100 pitcher, 100 prospects in Eduardo Rodriguez to the Boston Red Sox organization. And, well, Eduardo Rodriguez has done pretty well for the Red Sox. But again... Even he has started to come slowly down to earth with scattering reports getting out there. So, Jake, it does not surprise me whatsoever that Mike Wright or Tyler Wilson is not the dominant ace that Orioles Facebook would have made us believed him to be. What? Yeah. Uh, The ugly, though, in my opinion, for this half season, the injuries are bad. But Jason Garcia making the roster is a big issue for me. It put a lot of damper and flexibility on the bullpen um, and that occurring early in the season was a big, big story in terms of not being able to bring arms up and down, up and down. It was only until Jason Garcia went on the DL that the bullpen started to get that flexibility back. If Jason Garcia has to come back into the Orioles bullpen, it's going to be very interesting to see how the Orioles make do with that, especially with an even more full bullpen now with Bud Norris out there. It's an excellent point. I will say, however, it's a much easier discussion if Jason Garcia is effective, but we haven't seen any of that. No, I don't think we're going to see anything of that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Zach Wilt and Jabby Burns of Baltimore Sports Report and the Baltimore Sports Today podcast. Greetings, Bird's Eye View. This is Zach Wilt from Baltimore Sports Today, joined by my good pal, a guy who puts up with me every day on our podcast, Jabby Burns. Jab, it's a pleasure. People are actually listening to us right now, which is something we're not used to. That's why I got to keep it together, Zach, because um, when you're on a blowtorch that is the BEV network, uh, you got to get yourself in, got to get yourself out. So I do not want to miss anything that we have to say here so we can get the, the real guys in here. And we've got a couple bevies to hand out. We're really excited to be a part of uh, of this year's awards. And some great candidates. It's going to be it's this is going to be a tight one. I, I'm looking be hard. forward to seeing how the judges ruled here. <laughs> it will be very difficult, but uh, I think I think we can come to a consensus because that's what we do on our show at BSD. We kind of come to a consensus. You're always right, and I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't know about that. We we make the hard decisions. Yeah, Sports and and Orioles baseball in particular and weather full of uh, and weather. Yeah, a lot of weather talk. <laughs> no wonder nobody listens. Yep. Uh, our first category for uh, for the bevies from the BST is uh, is the best. DFA for the Baltimore oh. Orioles. The roster crunch jab has been a big part of the Orioles season. 
And unfortunately, three guys have been DFA'd, but we have uh, we have four candidates for the best DFA this season. The first being, of course, Everett Cabrera. Ding. The second being Mr. Delman Young. Oh. The third being Alejandro Deaza. Meh. And the fourth being the future DFA or DFAE, I guess would be the uh, the word there, because we know another one has to be coming, Jabby Burns. So we do. I'm gonna hand the envelope over Hold to on. you. I got it. All right, I just opened it up. All right, and, and our wow, these are nice. These are nice envelopes that they've got over there. What kind of budget are they working with? Oh over man, there? they've got they have tons of money, way and more got, than we do. They got Tito's for me and everything. This is unbelievable. Yeah, the green room uh, is stocked. Uh, the stocked. winner is Delman Young, oh. and who can forget what Delman Young did for this Orioles ball club in 2014 with the base hit heard around the world, or at least around the Charm City, uh, game two against Detroit Tigers. He is mine and your uh, DFA of the year. Yeah, yeah, that's a sad one. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss Delman. Uh, I'm going to miss him uh, on the roster. I'm going to miss him uh, liking Instagram pictures during the, uh, <laughs> during the game and uh, stepping up and, and, and having that clutch hit. But he's a, he's, he wins the best DFA. Ladies and gentlemen, to present the next award, the wives of Bird's Eye View, Sarah English and Carrie Magnus. Hi, everybody. Baseball Widows here. We are going to be presenting an award for the 2015 Bevies. And since Scott and Jake both think that they're members of the Orioles organization, we are going to be presenting the award for Best Walk-Up Song. So, Sarah, what are your nominees for Jake's Walk-Up Song? Um, well, since Jake is a big music fan and everybody knows that he's obsessed with the Beatles, I felt like there had to be a Beatles representative uh, in the list. And so thinking about Jake trying to play professional baseball, I felt like Help was the most appropriate song for the first nominee. The next nominee is a favorite of Jake's. If you've ever had to listen to him, try to make a decision. He is often torn between two things. So I'm going to nominate Natalie Imbruglia's Torn. And the final nominee for Jake's walk-up song is Kylie Minogue's Can't Get You Out of My Head, which actually was Jake's theme song for a couple of years, about 14 years ago when the song was popular. He kind of played it everywhere he went. All righty, let's open the envelope and find out who the winner is. And the winner is... Can't get you out of my head. Because, well, Jake's kind of like that annoying song that you just can't get out of your head. Love you, honey. And what are your nominees for Scott? My first nominee for Scott is a song that dates all the way back to 2012. It's Glad You Came by The Wanted. That's what she said. In 2012, the Orioles released a video thanking their fans with the players lip syncing to the song Glad You Came. And Scott must have watched that video 10,000 times because 2012 was the rebirth of the Orioles where I finally saw Scott get out of his Orioles related depression and feel like we had a team that could win and could make the playoffs. My second nominee is The Pretender by the Foo Fighters. And if you ever watched a game with Scott or Jake, actually, when Jim Johnson would come in to close, they would 
Ryan Wagner would always play the pretender and Scott and Jake would get out their phones and play the song along with them singing loudly and terribly. (laughs) And my third nominee is a song that doesn't have much to do with baseball, but I feel like sums up Scott's personality in so many ways. And it's footloose because if you have ever been at a wedding at a party or a baseball game with Scott and watched him dance, you would know that it's an appropriate song for him. All right, and the winner is... Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back Derek Arnold of Utah Street Report. And now, for our next award... That's right. This award is known as the Why Are You Breaking My Heart Like This? Just Let Me Love You Award. Previous Orioles to etch their names on this trophy include Jim Johnson and the slugger formerly known as Crush. This year's nominees are Stephen Wayne Pierce. After hitting 293, 373, 556 with 21 dingers in his breakout 2014, Pierce, as we all know, has clunked back to earth in 2015. While his versatility, playing wherever Buck Showalter wants him to play, is great, it would be nice if he could hit his way out of a wet paper bag. Next up, Chris Tillman. You guys remember all that Chris Tillman is our ace talk? Seems pretty silly now, huh? After racking up 20 straight starts of allowing three or fewer earned runs to end 2014, Tillman, at the time of writing, had already allowed four or more earned runs seven times in 16 starts in 2015. Though, as Steve Molesky points out, it's mostly the Toronto Blue Jays that are the problem. Tillman's ERA is 15 against them and three and a half against everybody else. Next up, Bud Norris. Big bad Bud. Bud the stud. Hashtag Bud Norris pointing at pop-up. You guys remember all that fun Bud Norris stuff from last year? Yeah, that's all gone now. This year, it's more like Bud the Dud. Bud Norris pointing at another home run. Bud Norris pointing at his ERA because it's way the hell up there. And now he's blowing games for the bullpen. So there's that. Our final nominee, (sighs) Dylan Bundy. Bundy is a special case because he has not been an Oriole since 2012, and that in itself is very heartbreaking. We just want to love Dylan Bundy, our can't-miss top-of-the-rotation prospect stud pitcher, but yeah. Anyway, now that everyone's in a great mood, let's announce the winner. This year's winner of the Most Heartbreaking Oriole Award is... Chris Tillman. Wow. In what is easily the closest vote that I've had since I started having these bevy polls two years ago. At the time that I closed the polls at about one o'clock on Friday afternoon, Tillman led Bud Norris by just two votes. But hey, that's all it takes. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Chris Tillman, your bevy award winner for most heartbreaking Oriole in 2015. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Potpourri. 
Folks, Bird's Eye View is always about the intangibles, the little things that most of you tend to miss. So this final one, for the good, the bad, and the ugly, is going to go to our potpourri section. Jake, why don't you go ahead and lead us off with your good from Orioles Potpourri for the Midseason Awards. All right. For me, for 2015, when you talk about the intangibles, it has to be about the ballpark experience, right? I mean, you look back in the last several years of the Orioles winning, and it's been all about the feeling at the ballpark. And part of that is in large, it's in large part to do with the uh, on on the field performance. But I think the the entire organization has gotten a lot better. PR has gotten much better. And let me tell you something: what's great this year in 2015, and that is the promotional schedule. I think that they blew it for many years, but frankly, the Orioles have been on point as of late. Let's talk about the the absolute mass hysteria going on for events like the gnome or the Hawaiian shirt. I'm not a big bobblehead guy, but there's a bobblehead coming up with a Maryland theme Oriole bird with his crab mallets and his his uh, Maryland bib. The t-shirt giveaways, the replica jersey giveaways, I think is a great one. The Orioles have really stepped this up. And the cool part about it is, is that it's no longer the type of deal where they have to give away a, a cool promotion to get people to come to the park. They're just doing it because. They give away that Hawaiian shirt during the Sunday game of the National Series. Mm-hmm. There's going to be no problem with selling that that ballpark out. Right. That was merely just a thank you. I think that the uh, Orioles promotion folks uh, deserve a tip of the cap. One minor gripe. Gripe me, baby. Orioles t-shirts have been really poor this season, in my opinion. The player designs, not great. You know what? I'd like to see the jerseys come back. We haven't had jerseys for a few seasons now. I could use myself, you know, uh, a David Lowe jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm with you on the on the weakness of the t-shirts. But again, we're getting better quality stuff. Again, the Hawaiian shirts, the hooded sweatshirt, which will come up soon. Again, I really think that there are good things coming from Orioles. That's promotions. fair. But the jerseys are something that is timeless. Um, my good for the year has to go to Jim Palmer coming onto Orioles Twitter. People should be following at Jim22Palmer. Jim Palmer has been a delight to see. And when he joined Twitter, I thought to myself, there's no way this is going to be the real Jim Palmer. It's got to be his handler. It's going to be a handler or it's going to be someone from Masson. But then to see the awkwardness of someone trying to figure out Twitter and see him evolve into basically trolling Boston Red Sox fans and David Ortiz in the same fell stroke, Jim Palmer succeeded amazingly on Twitter with a few hiccups that I think people can see and know. But Jim Palmer has been really amazing. Uh, Gold star, um, MVP so far of Orioles Twitter this first half season. The other thing I love about it is that you talk about, you know, it's clearly not his handlers. It's so painfully obvious that it's him. But the thing that I think is cool is that we also get little snippets of him when he's not broadcasting. Yes. There was a great photo in his Twitter account the other day of him sitting on the couch watching the Orioles game, just like the rest of us. And I, I'm tickled pink to see the winningest pitcher in Orioles history. Some guy that I, I listened to, you know, probably three or four nights of the week. Doing the same thing I am on a you know, regular Wednesday mm-hmm. night. All right, can we go to the bad? Let's go to the bad. My bad for this season has been the return for the Orioles to 105.7 The Fan as the radio flagship. Mm. We've talked about this in the past. Look, the sound quality of FM is so much better. It's so much better. 
in many parts of the state. You can reach it in, in Montgomery County, which you couldn't do with BAL. You can get it going through the tunnel. Look, I get all that. It's a better sound quality experience, but in my opinion, I think that BAL has a much better overall product. I think that the before and after game products have suffered. I think that having to listen to the 105.7 The Fan personalities around my baseball game has really tarnished it to a certain extent. And if you look at little things like, you know, uh, the fans website no longer has highlights of the game, audio highlights of the game, which is something that WBAL did. Those little things pick at me in a very bad way. And there's a nostalgic piece that also misses being able to listen to a staticky AM uh, radio broadcast in the evenings as my birds play. Fair point. Um, The bad is an obvious one, at least for me, and it has to be the Orioles trading away a draft pick in order to compensate themselves for Ryan Webb's 2.5 or $3 million salary. Look, a draft pick is compl- is very valuable, in my opinion, especially for such a weak farm system. The Orioles currently rank, I think it's like 25th or 26th based off of Keith Law's uh, farm, uh, farm analysis. Uh, the Orioles need to get as many draft picks as possible. If not then they need to have the slot money available so that they could go out and be aggressive in this year's draft. Instead, the Orioles approached it very conservatively in this draft. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing with their slot money. They were able to sign a lot of players. But if they would have had that additional draft pick, maybe they could have gone over and overslotted a few more additional players and got some other players. Not saying it would have been a big deal, but something that makes you think at night of why is a team so concerned over two and a half to three million dollars. That's a really great question, especially because they threw away that same amount of money on Everth Cabrera. Yeah. They were willing to pull the trigger there. Why not just get rid of Webb and the money and keep all the other good stuff? Yep. You're absolutely right. It's bad. All right, let's do ugly. For me, the ugly is clearly the Dan Duquette situation. And when I say the situation, you know what I mean. The Toronto flirtation. The fact that we have a guy running the baseball operations that might not really want to be here. And I'm not calling into question his his ethics. I'm not. I'm not saying that there's any part of Dan Duquette who's not trying his darndest to win with the Orioles. That's his resume. If he really wants to go somewhere else, the best thing he can do is make the Orioles win. But this Dan Duquette situation is not over. And it's not over for two reasons. First, the trade deadline is coming. And he will be under the microscope again. I don't think that fans are willing to forget what happened in the offseason. And even if, even if you disagree with the moves, you have to admit that it was weird because of the whole Toronto thing that took place in the offseason. Now, with the Orioles you know, debating whether or not to be buyers or sellers, the Dan Duquette factor is going to be there. And then once the season ends, whenever it ends, it's going to start up again. I really feel like the Orioles and Dan Duquette, but mostly the Orioles, have botched it in the offseason. It would have been better for everyone, I think, to make a clean break and let a guy get a promotion in another organization. Jake, interesting scenario, but the Dan Duquette situation is really the ugly for the last offseason. I'm not concerned about this right now because really Dan Duquette's been making the moves that really are necessary so far in the season. Were you not listening to my song? You should have been listening to my song. The only problem I've got was, you know, Kevin Gossman, but that's a whole other topic. Jake, the ugly for the Orioles season has to be 
Orioles Facebook is absolutely a travesty that needs to be burnt to the ground and destroyed immediately. Anybody that goes over and reads like, you know, an Orioles Facebook group like Baltimore Orioles fans or Orioles Magic or Orioles Superfans or whatever Facebook group you are on, you will come across some of the most idiotic statements ever made. I mean, really brain lacking stupidity that makes you want to be like, why am I a fan of this team when there are other fans that are this dumb? Can Orioles I- Facebook, delete your accounts because you are doing no service to this team and this fan base. Can I tell you something? Sure. That's your fault. That's your fault for reading that garbage. <sighs> Here's why I'm a happier person. Because I don't even bother. Do I know that it's swill? Yes, but I do not taste. I do not need that kind of anger in my life. It's like if you go, here's the thing. If you go to a highly politicized article online, do not go to the comment section. No good can come of that. Same deal. Don't go to the Orioles comment section. It can only hurt you. It's true, except when people retreat at O's Facebook comments and it <laughs> comes up on my Twitter. But how dare you criticize me for swill when you drink Michelob Ultra? But anyway, that's our good, bad, and the ugly for potpourri. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back Carl Renner, Sal Ronaldo, and Joe Paparado of OBP Apparel and the OBP Podcast. What a fantastic start to the bevies tonight. Now we have one more award. Now... We share a love with the Bird's Eye View guys for a classic baseball movie, that of course being Angels in the Outfield. As you can hear right now, the theme is beginning to play as we are prepared to hand out our next award, which is the Mel Clark Most Likely Return to Form Award. That of course being named after the late Mel Clark who died of cancer shortly after he pitched an amazing pennant-clinching game against the Chicago White Sox. Mel That's Clark. not what Disney wanted you to know, though. But he, they said he was going to be one of them soon. So, Mel Clark, I know you're up there watching somewhere right now enjoying this. So, in honor of you, this award's for you. And our nominees for most likely to return to form in the Mel Clark Memorial Award. Sal, can you read our nominees? Chris Tillman. Steve Pierce. Bud Norris. Matt Weeders. And we're opening the envelope here. Joe Pop, please. And the winner of the Mel Clark Award is Chris Tillman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, now, guys, Chris Tillman, what, what better guy to win this award than someone who has gotten off to a, might I say, train wreck start? He's not very good this year, Cotton, that's for sure. No, he's kind of really bad. <laughs> but he did have a great second half last year. We can only hope that the guy will return to that form in the second half of this year. He won't be hitting dongs, but... Hopefully giving less of them hopefully up. Hopefully giving less of them up. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, thank you so much to the Bird's Eye View guys for having us on tonight. I'm Cal. I'm Sal. I'm Joe Pop. Back to the dong's eye view. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back Zach Wilt and Jabby Burns of Baltimore Sports Report and the Baltimore Sports Today podcast.
our other category here for the bevies jab and this is one i'm really excited about yes you are uh because those guys out in the bullpen are true characters i mean each one of them is unique i think you got to be a little crazy to uh to sit out there as opposed to being in the dugout yep things get a little wild we hear crazy stories so our last category uh for the bevies is the best bullpen personality for contestants for this one Zach Britton, the closer, the guy who comes in in the ninth and, and nails him down to get the uh, get the save. Darren O'Day, the sidearm slinging reliever who can wiggle out of bases loaded jams. Tommy Hunter, who uh, who at this moment I, I imagine just like when the Orioles won uh, won the Flinchness. American League East has uh, has at least ten beers in his hand. Yep, and a wild card this year, Chaz Rowe, tattoos. Crazy hair, super tall. Who is our best bullpen personality? Well, first of all, this is gonna be tough because you know I have I have history with Tommy as a former uh, neighbor of my boy Tommy, and so you would think that if I stuffed the ballot box, but this was done by Price Waterhouse Cooper. This stuff has been sealed. This is like the NBA draft in '85 when the Knicks allegedly got Patrick Ewing with the cold, you know, thing that they pulled out of here. So I will open this <laughs> here. And the winner is – this is a huge upset and I'm very excited. It's like one of those things with the awards people, they get really excited because they know the person and they're excited when they win. Chaz Rowe, wow. Kentucky, Kentucky native Chaz Rowe, former first-rounder Chaz Rowe is the winner of the BVs. What an upset. What an upset. Well, wow. happy for Chaz. He deserves it, man. And he, he – to me – he is that uh, that perfect type of, of bullpen personality. A little crazy. You know, you want the guy who's standing in the batter's box waiting for the guy uh, jogging out of the bullpen to be a little worried. And, you know, if I were that hitter jab, I'd be a little scared when he runs in. So I, I think that was a good choice by, well, our, the, by our judges. But I bet Chaz has got some good stories, and, and he's got a good southern draw, which we're all into. Oh, yeah. You got to love that. Got to yep. love that. Well, congratulations to Chaz Rowe, and thanks, Jabby Burns, for being here and uh, putting up with me every day on Baltimore Sports Today. But for now, let's hand things over to Jake and Scott. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back Alan Smith and Sam Dingman of Baltimoreans. To match the best of the 2015 season so far, we've turned to the Orioles' Twittersphere to bring us some of the worst overreactions to the Orioles' season thus far. The first nominee is, of course, myself for my uh, prescient tweet as Chris Davis struggled to get going in the beginning of the year that we should take him outside back and shoot him to put him out of his misery. Nominee number two would be me for my tweet early in the season when Manny Machado was having difficulty making successful throws to first base and sometimes getting credit for outs that he shouldn't have gotten credit for that, <laughs> quote, the only thing stronger than the truth is Manny Machado's right arm. Alrighty, well, the third nomination for the worst overreaction on Orioles Twitter is to all of the Orioles faithful who were more upset about a CVS being lit on fire in downtown Baltimore than they were with seven black churches being burned throughout the South. We got some flack for taking a stand on that particular issue at the time, and we're not apologizing for it. Hi, BEV audience. <laughs> Bemorons.com. <laughs> And finally, nominee number four for the worst Orioles Twitter overreaction of 2015 is everyone, including us, who expressed shock and awe that Ubaldo Jimenez would begin the season in the rotation. Surely 
Surely, we said, he should start the season in the bullpen and perhaps even be designated for assignment. And the winner is, for the worst overreaction of the year, Ubaldo Jimenez to the bullpen, ladies and gentlemen. He has, of course, become the Orioles' best pitcher of 2015 um, and has been the only thing we have to a stopper and ace. I would like to share with you all, just because... I don't know if any of you have paused to look at them recently. I certainly haven't. These are Ubaldo Jimenez's pitching statistics in 2015. Seven wins against four losses, a 2.96 earned run average, 94 and a third innings pitched, just eight home runs allowed, only 29 walks, a whip of 1.23, 8.9 strikeouts per nine innings, and... Perhaps most interestingly, a wins-above-replacement score of 2.0 in his final year with Cleveland, the amazing year on the basis of which we signed him to the huge contract we gave him. His wins-above-replacement for the whole season was 2.7. He seems to be back, and I would notice that the number of walks that he has given up so far, 29, you said, is approximately the same uh, number of walks that he gave up in one start that Sam and I observed <laughs> as he was pitching to the New York Yankees last season. Ubaldo <laughs> um, Jimenez has been absolutely dominant. Um, and the only question for me at this point is, uh, is, is, is he elite? We'll leave that question to all of you. Uh, we also apologize for, to Scott Magnus for not giving you his ex-fip. <laughs> Thank you very much to the boys from Bird's Eye View for having us on the show as always, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the program. You can find us, if you're interested, at bemorons.com. And in closing. All right, well, that'll bring us to the end of the 2015 Bevy Awards. Thank you for listening. Yes, thanks are certainly in order. As always, we have to start with you. The listener, we can't tell you how much of a privilege it is to put this show together week after week. We have a blast doing it. We're honored and appreciative that you put up with us for, what, 130-plus episodes. Thanks to our tolerant wives for giving us the time on Monday nights and sometimes Tuesday nights to put out a great podcast such as this for you listeners. So if you get to see them at the Stadium 2 with us, thank them as well. They're pretty swell. Yeah. Uh, thanks also go out to our friends and colleagues in the Birdosphere who helped make this show possible. And we want to specifically thank the Baltimoreans, uh, Baltimore Sports Report, Camden Chat, Utah Street Report, OBP Apparel, and Orioles Uncensored. There are so many more out there that are part of the Birdosphere with us. The Birdosphere is filled with talented podcasters and writers who are kind enough to share with us their time, their insight, their wit, but most importantly, their friendship. And there are plenty of amazing content creators out there who weren't on the show tonight that we want to thank uh, for helping make this podcast of ours fun on a weekly basis, but also being an Orioles fan on a nightly basis. We should also point out some folks who have helped us along the way. Many thanks go out to the band Songs from the Moon, who allowed us to use their song, Watching the Orioles, as our theme. We also want to recognize the guys at OBP Apparel for designing our logo. So much talent there. Go buy their shirts. Yes. We also want to recognize the voice of the bevies, Jovial Jay Shepard, who is a podcaster in his own right, but more importantly, he's a tremendous friend and a wonderful human being. Jake, you're doing again. You're running long. That's it. I'm going to have them bring out the hook. With that, 
Good night, Baltimore. Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a fond adieu adieu. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the 2015 Bevy Awards presented by the Bird's Eye View Podcast.